I was trying to take his temperature and, you know, yeah, he was doing his three or four year old thing where he wouldn't let me stick it in there or keep it. And I just was like, you need to stay still. Like I was yelling at him um, and he looked at me, you know, they get that look. I don't know if you, maybe your kids have never given you that look. And if not, kudos to you. But he gave me that look where like, I'm scared, you know, I'm scared of mommy right now. Um, and then, yeah, then you just immediately like, like feel terrible, um, because that's probably the look I had so many times growing up, you know, like I'm fucking terrified right now. Welcome to Model Minority Moms, where we talk about the meaning of success in career, family, and life. We are Jeanette Park, Kate Wong, and Susan Liu, Harvard classmates and Asian American working moms who get real about the pressures of fitting in while standing out. Greetings, greetings, and welcome back to another episode of Model Minority Moms. Today, we are talking about rupture and repair. And I'm not talking about with your partners, but with your kids. And how do you deal with conflict when the instant pot is like, the ventilator is like spewing steam everywhere. You're like, oh my God, I'm trying to, I lost it and I need to apologize, but how do I actually really do this and what's actually going to make sense to them? Um, So we're going to talk about it because it's hard and we deal with it on the regular with our kids, um, even though we're supposed to be the adult. And um, I think to kick off that conversation, First, let's just talk about our own upbringings and what was that like with rupture and repair with your own parents growing up? Like, because I think for us to understand how we're dealing with it today, the context of how we learned it and how we experienced it is is so important. Dun, dun, dun. Who mm-hmm. wants to go first? I feel like it's actually really, it's one of the more difficult topics, I, at least for me, like to talk about because it's it's actually kind of painful and it's pretty at least in my case I feel like it's pretty fucked up and like there's some shame I think around it as well um so with that I can go first I yes. guess oh great you just well and told yourself go for um it. yeah so I think my parents I don't know I don't think that they at least I could tell I don't think that they had any kind of intended philosophy around discipline. Um, My parents um, came from families who experienced a lot of trauma, um, both from the Korean War. Both of my grandfathers were, um, you know, refugees, basically from the north to the south, both alcoholics, both extremely abusive to my parents. And so I think that they were definitely coming into it with a lot of their own baggage, but also not a lot of reflection, I think, necessarily on their own upbringing um, and any kind of like intentionality around trying to do it differently um, or keeping what's good. Um, and, and, And they also, you know, they weren't they didn't have like the cultural tools or norms to really help support them in that reflection. Um. But but I just wanted to give you a little bit of that background because I think while in my 30s, I've kind of allowed myself to be have space to be really angry um, about things that have happened in my childhood. I also want to like temper that a little bit with, I think, the reality that my parents grew up in. Right. Um, and so, 
Yeah. So just to dive into it, you know, like my um, my brother and I were both hit growing up and I would say it was not like a um, disciplined kind of spanking, you know, like you do X and we very clearly knew like that was going to result in Y, you know, like five um, ruler slaps like on the hand that that was like not how it was in my family. There was like violent outbursts, like yelling, screaming. Um, and, uh, you know, my mom never really hurt us that much. But, you know, she would definitely grab like a hanger, for example, and just like hit us when she just felt. And it was very it felt very out of control. And I think as a kid, it felt very scary that way. Um, and, um, and my dad, um, he, yeah, he would just kind of black out sometimes, I think when he was in, um, he felt his emotions kind of boil over. Um, so I've seen him be physically violent towards my mom. Um, and he was physically violent towards both my brother and I, um, I think like the worst of it was when he hit me like so much that I, I got bruises on my legs. And I have this like very, you know, it's like one of these things you'll never forget because you, I had like ballet class and I had like bruises all down my leg. And my mom basically like just put foundation on my leg so that I could go to ballet class, you know, and it, and it was like all like kind of tempered with this or not tempered, not, but overlaid with this like um, kind of um, fear, I think that the Korean community had around having your kids taken away because, you know, the, the the approach to what was accept culturally acceptable to like, you know, discipline or like do to your kids was very different than, you know, what at least was like stated as the cultural norm in America, even though I think plenty of violence toward children still exists in the U.S. among non-immigrant families as well. So I think it was all kind of mixed in with this, like, don't tell people because not only is it shameful, but you might be taken away from us you know, kind of thing. Um, and, um, and which is very confusing to a kid, right? So you're just kind of like, well, so you did this to me, but like, is it okay? Or is it, do I just like, like, is it bad or is it okay? And then why are you telling me not to tell other people, right? Um, and then there's that other part is like, maybe you do want to get taken away. Like, maybe you want to leave the situation. Or is it like, no, I want to stay with my parents. Like, it's, well, that's kind of part of the confusion too, right? Is I think as a child, um, you have like as a baby even, right? You have this need to attach to um, your caregivers, right? And that's like the whole underpinning of the attachment theory, right? Like idea is that you are, people are born with this need to attach their caregiver. And so when your caregiver acts in a way that's harmful to you, you have to, as a child, um, kind of make that compute in some way right? So a lot of kids like end up implicitly like um, having, and that reflects on their self-esteem, right? Because they, the way that it computes, like I have to love this person and this person is supposed to love me, but this person is hurting me. The way that I'm going to make that all compute is that I must, I must be bad or I must have done something wrong, right? And so I think that that's kind of the burden that, um, a lot of kids who experience, um, you know, violence in their household, like kind of have to deal with. And, you know, it gets ingrained in your brain at such like a deep level. Um, and uh, and I would say, so that was kind of like the rupture part, which 
you know, and, and I would say like my family was not one marked by like constant violence. It wasn't like this was a weekly thing, but there was always, I would say, the threat of it happening, you know, and I would say like it would actually erupt into something maybe, I don't know, like three, four times a year. Um, and um, and so, you know, so so that was the context that I grew up in. Um, and yeah, it's like so strange talking about it now because, you know, I feel like as a grown up, okay, well, there's like no like a department of um, child services or whatever family services that are going to take me away because I'm 37 years old. But like, really, like as a kid, you don't feel at liberty to talk about it, right? Even though this thing is happening. Um, and And so that's the rupture part. And then in terms of the repair part, uh, there was like, I mean, it, I think that part was actually like more fucked up than even the first part of it, because um, basically there was no repair, right? Like there, my parents never said, I'm sorry for anything. Um, only maybe like the minorest of things, right? But like the things that really mattered to any degree, um, they never, I, I have no recollection of them apologizing for anything. Um, and um and I think with my dad, it was actually even more, you know, so deeply dysfunctional and fucked up beyond that because my dad has had and has um, really deep shame issues, you know, I think also coming from his uh, childhood. So, you know, uh, even though he was kind of the one, in, he was the one in the wrong who perpetuated this violence. Um, I, I often, my prompted by my mother, I had to go and apologize to him. Um, you know, I, I had to go and say like, I am sorry that I made you angry, even though, you know, I was a child and he is an adult and, you know, whatever I did to, to set him off doesn't compare with what it just totally pales in comparison, right. With his behavior. Um, and so I think that that made me super angry as a kid, honestly, I think that it, it, I had um, being forced to do that um, and being forced to kind of carry the shame really for my parents' actions, um, I think made me very angry. Um, and I think it, that anger is, um, is really like for me easily triggered when I feel like I have, I think that's kind of where my emphasis on fairness comes from. And also my need to like, my near obsessive need to state things underlying emotional dynamics like and bring it out in the into the open because i i grew up in a family that did not allow these things to happen right and we all had to like play this game or the charade that everything was fine that things were the kids faults when the parents were clearly at fault um and um and so i think growing up yeah i both had that anger and certain things came, became really important to me because of the way that i because of that environment. Um, yeah. And so there was really no, um, no uh, repair. And, and I would say like, even to this day, there's not really a repair on that front. And, and I think it's something that I've kind of partially given up on and just tried to be more okay with, because I, I actually think it's just not well, like, first of all, I think I've had to real come to the realization and it's like sad, but it's like come to the reality that 
I, I can't control whether my parents will apologize or say they're sorry or take responsibility for their actions. Like I just, I, that's not within my control. Um, and, and two, that, um, that they, it's not to excuse them, but it's like, it's, it's extremely hard for them because I think it, it makes them have to face like really some hard things that they did, you know? Um, and yeah. And so that's, that's, that's my, that's, that's my context that I'm coming from. Um, and then, you know, I, I think also, I just want to like mention a little bit of summary of Jake's background, because I think, you know, we, we parent together. So learning about his childhood and what he brings into our co-parenting relationship for our kids, like, is really, I think it has had a lot of influence as well, you know, so I think in Jake's family, maybe there was like more repressing of emotions, but I think um, there was very limited physical punishment. And it, it, if there ever was, it was like very predictable, you know, and it was like never done out of kind of like in an emotional place. Um, and, you know, there were just like no violent outbursts or like even like people raising their voice. That was like very uncommon. Um, and so <clears throat> that's kind of the environment that he grew up in, um, which I would say has a lot. I mean, it's not like without some drawbacks, but has, you know, on the whole, I would say that's a better environment for a child to grow up in than the one that, you know, uh, th that was like my family's context. Um, so, yeah, that's that's what I am still trying to work through as a 37 year old, you know, and I think I've I have a lot more awareness around it. But some of the emotions around it still are very much present, I would say. Um, you know, and in that way, I'm still trying to grapple with it. And I think grapple with this kind of deep scarring around like how I see myself. And but but it also shows up in how I deal with people when I have conflict with them, um, deal with people um, in authority positions that I feel like, you know, might be um, oppressing me. I have a lot, I, I definitely get triggered in those situations and I have a harder time dealing with them in a productive, calm way than I think, for example, Jake does, right? And I think a lot of that has to do with this context of like my family of origin, right? So, you know, I, I've kind of come to the view that, you know, things that happen in families, they just show up everywhere, right? They show up in how people are in workplaces, like you you could be a very skilled, intelligent person, but when when it ultimately comes to your career, like a lot of it also depends on the relationships you're able to have with the people you're working with. And guess what forms, you know, is going to inform those relationships is like your family, right? Your parents, like how you grew up. Um, and um, so I'll stop there. I don't want to go too deep in, in another direction, but that's basically my story story my childhood story thanks for sharing that Jeanette yeah Sounds yeah really really fucked up and hard yeah it was it was it was fucked up and hard you know but but I would also say that it's not um it's sad but it's not atypical I think my story um of like other Korean children that I knew like a first generation immigrant families like my story is not atypical you know and, and not to say my situation wasn't hard, but there were there were families where it was worse and there were fam families where it was better. But I wouldn't 
I wouldn't say mine was like totally out of the norm, you know? So that's a sad thing. I mean, if you read even in these studies of just like the general U.S., you know, population of children, how many, you know, experience like what they call adverse childhood experiences that includes like violence in the home, it's like, it, it's an a staggering amount, right? Um, and so I think that it's important that, I feel, you know, I feel like it's important to just be more open with these things because part of the burden is having to, um, having to carry it in secret and having to bear, um, I think, like the shame of that in, in silence. Um, and, and I think even as an adult, even if some part of you knows that it wasn't your fault, like there's the child inside you that still somehow does believe that it was your fault. Um, and, you know, I think for many kids who experience um, domestic violence growing up, it's like a lifelong kind of battle to try to overcome overcome that feeling. So anyways, I'll stop there for now. I'm just translating this into like the model minority myth of like being such a hardworking Asian and you know, putting your head down and working and like being like obedient and submissive in the workplace, like part of it is like this like conditioned learned behavior of like that's what we had to to do to survive in our own families. You know what I mean? I mean, yes, there's cultural stuff and Confucian and all that stuff, but like there's part of it is just like it's like you didn't want to like make it worse, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You just I mean um again going back to attach attachment theory like that's part of the theory that you know as a baby you are basically helpless so you know you can't survive without um attaching to your caregivers and so it's about survival right so you have to put up with a lot from your caregivers to survive um and, and that's like you know that's a terrible thing that what what a child has to put up with to survive um but but i think that i don't really think it's helpful to like uh sorry maybe whitewashing is like not the it's not the pc term here but like to you know what i mean to like put a to gloss over it it's it is about survival and i don't think it does anybody any service to like pretend we live in this la-la land where there's not a lot of kids who are going through very similar, if not worse, circumstances. Yeah. How about you, Kate? Now that Jeanette, in a way, has anchored us in, like, one form of treatment, what was rupture and repair like in, in your family? Yeah, you know, I um, most recently was talking about part of it with my therapist um, just a couple days ago. Um, I would say probably there are two parts to my childhood that are important to in terms of influencing how I am with my kids. The first part is, you know, zero to five or zero to three, however you say, they say that, you know, you're like a lot of your attachments, personality, et cetera, are developed in those first few years. Um, well, some of you might remember the first zero to three or zero to five years of my life, I wasn't attached to my parents. You know, my mom went back um, to work when I was five months and um, they found me a nanny who was also just 19 years old, right? Who is like an uneducated <clears throat> country girl who took care of me at my grandparents' house until I was maybe like uh, a year and change. And then, you know, we went to live with my parents in 
um, the city where they were, but I didn't really spend much time with my parents, right? And then I think when I was two and change, um, my nanny left and my parents enrolled me in a boarding preschool, which when I told my therapist that, she was very confused. She's like, what do you mean, a boarding preschool? I was like, well, exactly what you think it is, which is my parents would drop me off on a Monday and I would come home only two nights a week. I think it was Wednesday and Saturday nights. The rest of the time I was at school, as in like all day long and overnight uh, until I was five and a half when we came to the U.S. And so I think when you take a look at that from all of what we understand about attachment theory, it's not a surprise that I was not very well attached, right? Or the one person I was attached to, my nanny, was, you know, she left when I was two. Um, and, you know, the boarding preschool that I lived at, uh, I don't have a lot of memories, honestly, of childhood, like that part of my childhood. But the memories I do have are generally negative, uh, one of which is, um, you know, at night, the teachers would go home and the school would hire um, these uneducated, I don't know, ladies to just make sure we didn't like get, you know, just to watch over us. Right. But they didn't want us to wet our beds because then that would be more work for them. So they would make us get up at midnight and f line up um, and pee in the toilet, a.k.a. urinal on the ground. Uh, and if we didn't, they would threaten us with things like, um, I remember very specifically, they would hold us over the toilet and say, if you don't pee now, I'll flush you down the toilet every night, right? I mean, sometimes you don't want to pee. <laughs> you like don't need to be at midnight. By the way, and you're like hustled up at midnight or whatever when you're sleeping. And so, um, you know, that's really unpleasant, right? Uh, from when you're, when you're a little kid. And I think, um, you know, and then the other memories I have are basically, I mean, the teachers during the day were fine, but you know, that is very top down, like, yelling at you if you don't do anything right, very discipline-oriented um, childcare. Uh, and I think that, you know, that's like the first part of my childhood. And I, so I didn't really have much of a relationship or attachment with my parents. Thinking of part of my childhood, you know, it's tough when I was listening to Jeanette talk about her own childhood. Um, you know, I've been through it with an old therapist of mine and did a lot of EMDR therapy around it just because there's a lot of physicality in terms of the childhood trauma. Um, but I would say that I also experienced corporal punishment, you know, as a child. It's still very hard for me to go into the details, especially because I think as an adult, my relationship has been repaired with my parents. Not that they specifically apologize for anything that happened, but just more they, I think, grew, mellowed, et cetera. So in that sense, I'm in a different place a little bit from Jeanette, because um, I know, Jeanette, you don't talk to your dad anymore. Yeah. Um, and so it, 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 it creates a very confusing way for me to think about what happened in childhood. But I can say very um, factually that, yeah, I was hit and um, I, I had a lot of fear in my childhood growing up in terms of reactions, uh, mostly for my dad, who I think was going through a really hard time himself. Like I would say he probably had bouts of, you know, depression. Um, and, you know, to live in perpetual fear of a caregiver who you also wasn't, you weren't attached to in the first place, right? Because you didn't really spend time with them. The first five years of life is like a very scary place. Yeah. Sorry. For yeah. childhood being. And I, and I think about, you know, my therapist was reminding me, she said, no matter how badly you think you're doing with your daughter now, there is no way that your daughter is going through what you went through. Yeah. as a child. Sometimes it's hard to forget that because I think there are so many um, demands on us as parents today to be a certain kind of parent, right? Like positive parenting or like all these tactics. 
And I think sometimes we forget that having gone through this trauma as a child, you can't just like use the tools. You can't just turn it on and like always speak in such a positive manner. And, yeah. You know, just forget everything that you've gone through as a child. Yeah. So it's, it's sometimes I think I like intentionally try to forget about it. But then, you know, as my therapist reminded me, because I was so down on myself for yelling at my daughter the past two weeks, she's like, look, for you, the starting point is so much harder than for a lot of people, right? I mean, who, what kid goes to boarding school when they're like two to five years old? Um, and we didn't even get into the later things. And so I think for me, I just never had, it was always rupture. There was never a repair and there wasn't actually even real attachment, right? As yeah. a child. And so when I think about, you know, us, and Susan, I'm sure you'll share your story. But as adults trying to be good parents up to the standard of what society tells us to be good parents today, you know, I, I sometimes feel like maybe I forget that we, sh we should pat ourselves on the back. And it's like awesome because we're actually here, like trying and, and maybe part of the time speaking positively to our kids, despite what we went through as kids. But I don't, you know, but then it involves having to think about what happened, right? And so I try not to think about that most of the time. And so I, I'm so hard on myself. Like, why am I such a bad mom? Why am I like yelling at my daughter and getting triggered? And then, you know, when I take a step back and talk it through my, with my therapist, I'm like, well, yeah, duh. That's because of all of these things that happened as a child. Now, then having to relive through that and like bawling tears and like getting all snotty at my therapy session, it, it's also really, you know, painful to have to relive that. And um, you know, and again, like Jeanette said, I think she said it really well. There are a lot of families who go through this. Um, we're not the exception. You know, there are kids who went through worse and then kids maybe who had some better experience. But maybe depending on your personality, if you're an extra sensitive kid, something that objectively seems less severe could have could feel more severe because you're, you know, and it's a thing like there are some kids that are I forget the term. It's like. Sensitive. Yeah, they're more sensitive. They're just more sensitive. Right. Yeah. And so. I think there's just a lot of that trauma that exists. And, and you know, as good Asian girls, <laughs> we're like, in order to survive, literally, both literally, uh, you know, we had to just button it all up, right? And then we not just, we didn't just survive. We like, I don't want to say we thrived because I feel like mentally maybe we didn't. But, but objectively, from the standards of the world, we like thrive, right? We like got into good schools. We got good jobs. Like we have, you know, sta stable careers. Um, but did we really thrive? I don't know. I really question that. Right. And I think as you know, the three of us talk about often, we are working on that now as adults that maybe in one way we materially thrive. But in, in some ways, that little child inside of us is still is didn't really thrive and it's still there. Um, and I did go through this really helpful exercise, which I can talk about later with my therapist that kind of helped me get in touch with that part of myself. But, you know, I wish at this point, I kind of wish our podcast were visual because you could see all three of us are like. <laughs> Tears are coming down, you know, because it's um, it's so hard to talk about it, but it's also very real. I think many of our listeners maybe will really identify with this. And um, and and it's it's like a it's a big it's a big elephant in the room that we don't talk about often because it's such a taboo. And it also involves a tearing open a scab and reliving all of that. So, yeah, that was my childhood. All rupture and no repair. I know, Susan. Sorry. I feel like today is like this, you know, it, it, it's it's but it's so important. I, I, I don't want to apologize for like, you know, if people feel uncomfortable while they're listening to us or what have you. But I think it's just a big part of who we are. You know, and Susan, I think your story will also continue to 
Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I mean, I, but look, I was just want to affirm us, you know, earlier, we're like, you were like, we're doing awesome. And we are doing awesome because we're doing the work. Right. But it doesn't like, feel like that. You know, Susan, it's weird to say that I'm to say that I'm doing awesome. I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm doing such a bad job. I like yelled at my daughter five times last week and I like I threw a hairbrush. You know what I mean? Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that, too. But I, I just. Th- there's effort here, you know, of just like trying to do some reflection and just do it better. And. I know for, I, I can say without a without a doubt that we are all doing it better than our parents. But. We also have to do our own repairing for our own selves, right? Um, so my upbringing, it's so interesting. We're all so different. You know, Kate, you're an only child. Jeanette, you're the oldest of two. I'm the youngest of four. We didn't plan it that way. But um, so I'm the youngest of four. And growing up, it was just my dad and my mom and my three siblings um, until my grandparents and aunties came when I was around like eight years old from Vietnam. So up until eight years old, my mom was, she had multiple jobs. My dad had multiple jobs and the kids were kind of left to themselves. And uh, my older, two oldest brothers were the disciplinarians. And so I would say like, I wasn't hit often, but when I was hit, there was like either spank, like I'd have to get down on my knees, pull down my pants, I get spanked with a belt or a hand or a feather duster. I don't know why they use a feather duster. That's Sorry, a by your brothers? Uh, just yeah. By yeah, yeah. Brothers. yeah. Not yeah, your parents, a... your brothers. Oh, no. It, it was delegated. Oh. So my oldest brother is nine years older than me. It didn't happen often. But what would usually happen is there was just sometimes a lot of yelling. So it's like as a six-year-old, I'd have needs about things and I'd want things or whatever. And it was always just like, you know, like, why are you such a troublemaker, you know, or why are you so emotional or like, well, I mean, and your brother was like 15, right? I mean, he's like, I, I'm not yeah. excusing any of this, but yeah, he's also, I mean, I'm also just thinking about their context, right? He's like not equipped yeah. to parent you. Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, it was first my parents, my parents did the yelling part like of when I was doing anything wrong and and the adjective that was also used a lot is why are you so stupid why are you so dumb you know what I mean like it was just like I heard instead of like oh Mm. what do you need Susan you know like it it was more like it was it was all the blaming and shaming so I would get that and if I persisted like kept crying or kept wanting something or whatever it was I mean it's not like basic things like wanting food right it was just I don't know, me wanting a toy or wanting yeah, to watch a normal, show. Normal six-year-old yeah. things. I really want to watch Blossom and I would get spanked for that. You know, like it was just like, what? You're forcing me to watch Pulcher, guys, but I, I can't watch Blossom? Like things just didn't make sense in my childhood. And so my parents did a lot of yelling. And then when, it, when I crossed the line, which was basically I kept crying or I didn't listen to them or I didn't do all my chores or whatever it was, then it went to the disciplining from my brothers. And at any time that I ever disagreed with my parents or like I wanted to understand more. And, you know, after my mom passed away when I was 11 and due to a, a tummy tuck that went wrong, I wanted to talk about her. I wanted to have some type of family grief circle, like 
we just stopped talking about her. Like we just it was as if she never existed, which is crazy because she was like the biggest figure in the family. Right. And it was like and then I kept pressing to ask people like, hey, like, do you miss her? What do you remember about her? And it was just like I kept getting blamed. Like Mm. you're living in the past. You need to let it go. What's your problem? You're so emotional. Like get over it. You're so sensitive. And I'm like, even if I am sensitive, like. Don't I I think this is an important topic for us to talk about, but also like it it just it was it was very subversive to me because then I started to think I did have a problem. Yeah, I mean, you were like, sorry, I mean, this is just again, right? I mean, to put it this way, it just makes it very stark how hard the situation is. But you're just like an 11 year old girl who just lost her mom and you aren't allowed to ask about her. You're being suppressed. Not only like in your grief, but just, you know, just talking about her period and then being made to feel like that was wrong, you know, um, or unnatural or whatever, you know, I mean, that's just, it's, that's, I mean, I, I kind of, I don't want to say I understand why your family did that because I don't think that that was that's right. It, this is like the hard thing about all of this, right? It's because you like understand the 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 context in which like the perpetrators are coming from, but it doesn't. I think I'm at the stage where also we need to like make sufficient room for our own pain and anger and just the unfairness and the fucked upness of that situation. And the responsibility of those people, right? Because, okay, so I'm just going to pause here. But I'm just saying, it's it's very sad. I imagine if my own, God forbid this ever happens, but if my own kids lost me or Jake, like that some other people would be fucking telling them not to talk about it. I mean, that's so, t- that's so tough. I mean, I just can't even imagine. Yeah. And so whenever I cried, which was a lot, it was the answer was always the same, which was like, go wash your face. Just go wash your face. Go to the bathroom, wash your face. That was it. That was it. And it was and when it was still like, Susan, why are you bringing the downer to bring this up? Or like, what's your problem? Like, why are you such a troublemaker and so dumb and so stupid? And I and now I look back, I'm like, oh, God, my dad was a widow of four. You know, our nail salon wasn't doing that great. He had so much pressure on him my mom's death left our family in shambles like having compassion for him but at the same time knowing like and I know he has so much trauma his generation so much trauma for different things and but at the same time I'm like you were the adult you were the adult um so for me I have a perpetual fear that I'm gonna get in trouble and and the thing is is I do challenge authority figures but at the same time, I'm always I, I feel like there's just like this undercurrent that I'm going to get in trouble. Yeah. From everyone in all. I say, oh, I hate it when someone sends me a text message like, hey, we need to talk. Oh, my God. Please. If anyone ever texts me, please just say we need to talk about the cruise or like we need to talk about dinner. Like when it's just like plain, we need to talk. I I I lose it you know, because I'm so scared of that. And I so there's just been so much conditioning around like I'm at fault and I have brought shame to the family for just existing. Um, I, I don't know. Maybe my sister will listen this one day. She'll be like, you're being a little dramatic, Susan. But that was my experience. 
I don't um, think there's anything dramatic about being 11 years old, losing your mom, and then like not having any opportunity to process that. I just don't, even just that in and of itself, I just don't feel like what's dramatic about that. That's yeah. so hard. Just full stop. Yeah. And then we still haven't talked about her. So yeah. It's been like two decades, right? 20, 26 years now. Um, so that's my context of rupture and no repair. Um, the repairing it was just always reaction to me, which was like more blaming and stuff. And then and just go hide away, you know, or like go wash your face and come back to the dinner table and like, don't cry. Because if you're crying, go back to your room, you know, and it was just like. Um, I think I'm doing a better job than that, but I still mess up with my kid. Um, but yeah, that that was just the context of it, which is like emotions were seen as weakness. And also, like, I think wanting to have that vulnerable conversation or closure or just connection was just, like, not okay. It's not okay. Yeah. Um, so now we all know each other even deeper. <laughs> so I'm curious, you know, both of you have two kids. Things happen. We're trying to juggle a lot in our relationship and our careers and ourselves and self-care. And then boom, we're also a mom. Um, what can you bring up any incidences of any rupture and repair moments or lack of repair moments that have been going on for you in the past few months? And just how's that been? How many incidences of rupture? <laughs> Oh, oh gosh well I mean you guys know I've, we've been having a really hard time with Raya for the last you know it's been going on seven months now but things got worse after you know her sister came and um it, it actually surprisingly I feel like I've been very patient and have like not lost my shit for a long time for the first few months um which I don't know nervous like maybe you were so sleep deprived and tired you didn't have t like energy to be angry uh but recently I've just like lost it. I mean, I think I texted you guys like what, two weeks ago being like, oh my God, I feel so terrible. I like totally lost it. It wasn't even, you know, she's just, she, she, she gets upset at all small things like toddlers. Right. But like, so I, it wasn't even the worst incident that I've had with her. You know, it was just like a situation where she started getting mad at me and I just lost my shit. I like yelled at her and I like threw a hairbrush, you know, not at her, but like on the ground. And, um, uh, Anyway, have this, the, and then in general, I, I just like those few days, I just like had my patience, like somehow it just poof, it went away. I was just like, what's going on? Like, uh, you know, I'm actually sleeping better. And like, you know, she's back at school. And so shouldn't I, you know, w what's happening? And I first thought, maybe I was like, maybe I should increase my like medication. <laughs> I was like, I need to go talk to my therapist. Or I even thought I was like, maybe my daughter is just like a problem child. Like maybe we need to go. And even, you know, nervous, like, should we go? Like, is there like a toddler therapist? Anyway, all of these things like went through my head. Um, I, do, although to take a step back, I will always apologize. So, so I always make it a rule that if I yell at her, I always apologize. Like as soon as I'm able to simmer down. So I did apologize to her every time. Um, you know, I, I felt really bad about it because I, it's like I couldn't control myself. Like, I don't know if you ever feel this. Well, Susan, you and I talked about it where it's like in that moment, it's like physical. Like you can't 
it's not even about, oh, can I take a step back? Like, and then reflect and like, who? It just was like in, it felt physical. Like I could feel something coursing through my body. Yeah, and I was you like, like turned into the Hulk. Yes. Yeah. Like it yeah, was you feel the adrenaline. Yeah. It was very yeah. physical. And I was like, yeah. what's happening? Like, what's going on? You know, it wasn't like no amount of, you know, the positive parenting techniques. Like it didn't even register in my brain. I just saw red. Right. And yeah, you weren't like, I'm going to mindfully breathe right now and yeah. count down from 10. <laughs> exactly. No. And, and I have been able to in other situations. Right. It's just like recently I could not. And yeah. so the, that that's sort of my even though I did repair, but like it's been a lot. It, it was harder to just prevent myself from like going over the edge, you know. And when you repair, like, do you explain like Monty was feeling angry about blah? Or do you say, I'm sorry? Like, do you try to explain how much can you try to explain yeah, to a two and a half year old? You know you what know, I mean? Like, it depends on the timing, right? If it's like if I'm able to calm down pretty immediately, uh, you know, I'll say, I'm sorry. Mommy was very upset. She, I shouldn't have done it. I'm very sorry. Will you forgive me? I ask for her forgiveness. Actually, she actually always says yes. I don't know if you really how much she really understands. But, you know, and, and the weird thing is like the next day, it, it, the, the weird thing to me is that, you know, when it's past, like she's done crying, it's like nothing happened to her. Whereas I, well, I'm sure think it's in, she remembers or what have you, but her behavior doesn't externally change, but I feel perpetually guilty, right? Um, so I do try to simply say mommy had, you know, shouldn't have done that. You know, when you, it, when you, it's okay to feel upset, but you shouldn't, you know, you shouldn't yell or hit. Right. Because I know that then she'll copy my behavior because, oh, lo and behold, like if you a couple of days later, she got really upset, something she started throwing stuff. And I was like, oh, no, <laughs> like she saw me throw the hairbrush. So now she's like throwing things, too. You know, so I have to I have to kind of do some explanation there, even if it's for myself. Like you can be angry, but you shouldn't throw. Mommy was wrong. She shouldn't have thrown this hairbrush. Right. Anyway. Yeah. I mean, I think just even owning up honestly to your actions is like a huge step like so huge yeah like you didn't make raya come apologize to you for being angry oh well yeah i mean i would be you know what of, I, mean? I would be so triggered if that's what that's what you're describing to me which is totally not i mean but i think just um yeah just taking responsibility i think it's just so big um, because then it doesn't force her to come up with some rationale that she you know that that was okay or that she like deserved that or that's like you know what she should expect um yeah I don't know I think I sometimes experience that too um sometimes when things are really really hard you know you just kind of go into this mode and you find like extra resources somehow to do the things but then as soon as things get a little bit easier you know those extra resources are not infinite right so it's just like you just realize how depleted you are and and it just like there's that rebound right of like you just feel more um you actually feel more tired um even though maybe things the conditions around you have improved somewhat and it takes a little bit to replenish those stores and kind of get back into balance so um yeah I think uh for me I would say I don't know how it's going to be with Ruth because they have very different personalities but 
with Isaiah, um, yeah, there have been times when, um, you know, I've also not displayed my best behavior. Um, and yeah, like there was like a time when he was really sick and he was been sick for like five days and I was trying to take his temperature and, you know, yeah, he was doing his like three or four year old thing where he wouldn't let me stick it in there or keep it. And I just was like, you need to stay still, you know, like I was yelling at him um, and he looked at me, you know, they get that look. I don't know if you, maybe your kids have never given you that look. And if not, kudos to you. But like, he gave me that look where like, I'm scared, you know, I'm scared of mommy right now. Um, And then, yeah, then you just immediately like, like feel terrible um, because that's probably the look I had so many times growing up, you know, like I'm fucking terrified right now. Um, And uh, there was like no, you know, hitting or or I, I don't think he felt physically threatened but he could tell I, I wasn't in my kind of normal balanced state mental state I was kind of starting to boil over and um yeah I um I, I think similar to you Kate is like as soon as I could calm down um which I think in that case was like fairly soon after you just I just told him you know, like I shouldn't have yelled. I'm sorry. Um, yeah, and and kind of try to take full stop responsibility. I I think that the, the the tricky part though is like, do I need to? Is it okay to also add like, it really frustrates me when you wiggle around when I'm trying to take your temperature because I need to do that. You know, because like it's like, what's the line between putting the responsibility on him for my behavior? You know what I mean? So I think, yeah. Yeah, I mean, what's coming up for me, I'm like, I'm like, oh, God, Marvin's kind of good cop. And I've, I've turned into bad cop a little bit in mm. the parenting roles. And I'm like, is it so bad if they're kind of scared of me? Or they know when I, I get kind of firm about it, then they know that's the line. You know what I mean? Like, we still... But that's not still scared, like, though. They're, they're, I, parents, I, we need lines, yeah, right? Yeah, boundaries. I think they're setting of boundaries. Like, yeah. Kids know with different caregivers, like we can observe it with Raya with every different caregiver. She has a different, she knows where the line is. So I yeah. think, Susan, if you set the line gently, firmly and gently, that's like making them scared of you. That's having them realize, hey, with mom, I can't get away with X, Y, Z. Yeah, he, right? he don't watch TV. Yeah, yeah. but I don't think that's like, you. that's not him being scared of you. Being scared of you is like where he feels like, yeah, threatened, like, you know? Yeah, like, yeah. And emotionally or physically, physically in danger right um yeah. but yeah there are like times when you know my son is refusing to you know put on his shoes it's taking him like 10 minutes to put on his socks and i'm i there is like a small voice in my head that's like you were not like this when you were four because but then i have to counter it with because i was like fucking terrified right um so so i think i do struggle with what you're talking about, Susan, is like how my, my, my like barometer for what is lenient versus what is strict versus like how to be firm with boundaries, but like not scary. It, it's all pretty scrambled, honestly. Um, you know, and so I do think like compared to Jake, I tend to ping pong a little bit more between being too lenient and being too strict. 
Um, because sometimes Jake will say to me, he's like, you shouldn't let the kids talk to you like that, right? Or don't let them ha- do this, right? But he is never, he never loses it with them, right? He's very even keel with them, but he has like very f- firm boundaries, right? And so I think that it has helped me see being with him, like, and even before kids that, you know, holding boundaries and um, expecting things from people, it, it's not the same thing as being scary like, or, or like making them scared of you is not the only tactic, you know, to, to get that. There's, there's other tools that you can have in your toolkit to, to do that. And so that's something that, you know, I've definitely been um, trying to be more mindful of. You know, I think the other thing that I do is I, um, and, and this is costly, right? But like, I, I try to leave a good bit of margin in my life. And, and I feel like it's costly because that means like, I don't have as much time to do work or do other things that I also want to do. But like, if I have a day when I notice myself being shorter tempered with the kids, like, like the next day, I, I just actively try to do something to refill my tank, you know? So whether that's like yoga or going for a walk or calling a friend or going to a coffee shop even and just like reading a book, going to a museum, just do something that makes me feel more centered and okay. Um, but, but it's fucking costly, you know? And it's, and, but, um, but that's also something that I try to do. Um, but but all of these things are hard. You know, they're not like they're not free and they're not easy. Um yeah. Kate, I don't think you're a monster because you threw a hairbrush at her. Thank you. But I felt like, you know, it I felt like I was like, oh no. And then your mind jumps ahead to like, you know, she's gonna do all these things. She's gonna be She's never gonna for brush life. her hair. She or hates hairbrushes. She's gonna start throwing things. You start seeing, I think you start extrapolating if you see behaviors in your toddler then you naturally assume that you it is because of you that she's like that right or he's like that and and I think that's the the tendency for moms but especially for maybe you've heard moms who've been through their own trauma right I mean it could be just the toddler and their own idiosyncratic personality or they picked it up from school but I think what's really hard for me is that anytime I see negative behavior from her my immediate assumption is that I, t- I, I, I did that to her. Right. Yeah. And that's like a burden. I feel that like my husband doesn't have. Um, I feel like, you know, it, it uh, I feel like I have it because of the childhood that I went through, even if I'm not consciously thinking about, it, I think of blaming myself for things because I feel like, oh, I had so many scars. And so therefore you know, my daughter's exhibiting certain things it must be because I passed them down to her through this thing. So I'm ultimately with, I'm just so hard on myself, right? In, yeah. in, in many ways. Yeah. Um, which makes you even more depleted, right? Right. And, and less and, able to like cope with her, her misbehavior in a calm way. Right. So I'm both hard on myself and I'm sure just like you guys, I, I hold myself also up to like a high standard. You know, it's like, if you think, take a step back, we just think it's crazy. Like we've, we've all had, I don't want to say more trauma, but we've also we've all had a lot of trauma um, in our childhoods. And yet maybe we hold ourselves up to this this standard that is so high that it would be hard even for someone who is like, you know, had a normal, not as traumatic childhood. It would be hard for them to do. And yet we hold ourselves up to that same standard, God. dealing with all the traumas. And then we still think we do a shitty job. 
expectations you know i've always been curious i i feel like the most satisfied people are the people who have really low expectations <laughs> no i'm serious and in in a in in a in actually a really beautiful way right of like um kind of just allowing things to happen and being satisfied with them i i have trouble with expectations and i've gotten feedback that i have very high expectations and I've, I've, I actually have kind of like some pride around that because I'm like, why, why should, wouldn't you expect more in life, you know? But at the same time, what you're pointing to is totally true. Like, well, then you're also going to be most time constantly disappointed. So like, then what's the purpose of these high expectations? I guess I am trying to find a different path, right? It's like, how can you still, can you have high expectations, but that not generate like this anxiety disappointment that ultimately like kind of hinders you from reaching those expectations um yeah so i i don't know I, this is a very imperfect example and it's something i'm still thinking about but um for example exercise right so you know you might have some goal around fitness or like how much you should exercise but the, but the fact is like doing any exercise is always better than doing no exercise, right? Any incremental amount of exercise is always like better than none. And if you, you know, kind of set a really high standard and then get frustrated that you're not doing it, then it it it, it actually is like more self-defeating, right? Because it's going to demotivate you to do even the thing that is actually still helpful for you to do. So um, I think in in a lot of areas of my life, like I am trying to, yeah, think about that. It's like what how do I still hold high expectations? But does that have to come with that, you know, yeah, that risk of disappointment, that risk of like anxiety, self-blame, blaming others, you know, how do I navigate that? Is there a different way? Um, so that that's a kind of abstract thought that is not applicable only here, but, but, but I, yeah, but I think for child rearing, it, it's it's the same. It's like, well, I do think that, you know, these things about like maintaining a calm, level-headed environment, a warm, nurturing environment that's very consistent, like that is a worthwhile goal. And maybe that is something we should, ex not maybe not expect, but like that's something we should aim for and want. Um, but how do we pursue that without, um, when we fall short, having these like emotions about it that ultimately like hinder us from actually being able to get closer to that. Right. And so, I think, yeah. yeah, I think that's also where being able to realize your own state and working on yourself um, instead of just looking for, you know, consuming the, advice that's out there um, is really important because sometimes consuming a lot of the advice somehow makes you feel shittier about yourself because you're yeah. like gosh seems like there are all these tips and tricks but like why am I not able to you know um, implement that right well yeah. it's because you know if you have had these issues in your own childhood um, I mean maybe some people are good at working through them or repressing them or what have you but it will come through one way or another and so I think half of, I feel like most of being trying to be a good parent isn't just knowing 
the tips and tricks, it's working on yourself first, right? That's why I feel like, I feel like, I think I've told Nero once, I was like, oh, I feel like having a kid is like the biggest self-improvement project, right? Because it's not so much about, I mean, it is, the, the, the end is about the kid, but the, but the means is about you, right? In order mm-hmm. to have a child that is healthy, emotionally, physically, otherwise, you have to make sure that you yourself are taken care of in that regard. Because if you aren't, like Jeanette said, you, you run out of juice. There's no way that the juice is infinite, right? And everybody has different reserves of juice. Like I feel like my reserve of juice is very little. And yet I'm always trying to do like a lot. Maybe I have like a quart, but I'm always trying to do something that takes a gallon, right? And I think part of that is just understanding how much juice you have in you um, and then do what your the amount of juice allows you to do as opposed to I feel like I, I always tend to compare myself to other people and be like, oh, how come they are able to have so much more patience or so much more whatever? And then I feel worse about myself. Right. It's a very bad habit of mine. Um, and so I think that's really important to to do as. Yeah. 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 But I would also say that um, self-blame is also a very common thing among kids who um yeah experience trauma at the hands of their caregivers growing up you know because i it's like kind of part of that thing of like having to make sense out of that situation right these people who are supposed to be caring for me and loving me are being terrible to me it must be because i'm bad right and, and even if we as i think as adults like know that that's not true it's inscribed into our lizard brains, you know? And so in some ways it's like, it never, it's very hard. It's a lifetime project to, um, to work through that, overcome it, compensate for it, you know, be aware of it. Yeah. I mean, I think for me, it's like, we're talking about like, like almost angry reactions with our kids. And for me, maybe I am really emotional and sensitive, but I have like a, like sad reactions with my kids where I um where I have meltdowns where I I have my highs and my lows my lows are really low and and when that happens like I tell Marvin I try to pull him aside and and then and then Art will see it a couple of times where I'm just like you're checked out or like what is what does it actually look like functional like I'll just I'll just kind of sit down on the floor and like not move Mm. And just like not really want to engage. I won't engage. Mm. Like I won't talk, make eye contact. And it's like really weird. Like didn't happen often, but sometimes it happens. And Marvin will finally like realize I really mean it. Because he's like, you always sound the same whenever you have any request. So I never know if you really are urgent. And I was like, okay, that's annoying. The line is Marvin. I really need your help right now. But maybe I say that a lot. But anyways, what will happen is Marvin will come up and then we'll talk and then he'll, I, I just need to be really comforted in that moment, which is a reflection of childhood, right? Like never feeling comforted and, and taken care of. And then eventually we'll do a family hug because Art will come up to me and he'll just pat me on the back and be very concerned, mm. um, which is, I mean, he'll stop watching Paw Patrol, right? Like it's like all of a sudden, like we're having a family meeting. And we'll all kind of come together and have this big hug. And it's just like, part of me feels very ashamed. Like, oh my God, when I'm having an emotional low, I should probably just like close the bedroom door and just like 
process it on my own or whatever. And the other part of me is like, is any part of this actually kind of healthy where we can show that mom and dad can have emotions and that that we take care of each other and we talk about them? You know, like I I, I think that I'm still trying to figure out that line. Jeanette, yeah. you're talking about like where it's all kind of scrambled, where you're like, how much do I reveal that I'm actually in an independent adult that is not just a parent, you know, or or like a person with needs. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, versus like, no, I'm your stable caregiver and you can always you you should never doubt that. Like you can 110 percent of the time count on me. Right. Right. And so it's there's just this gray area for me where I'm like, was that was that a bad move, Susan? Like, no, I should just run into my room and go under the covers, which sometimes I do. Doesn't happen often, but there are times. So, friends, thanks so much for sharing about the real real of what happens with parenting, which Kate, you so correctly said it's really about self-improvement, right? Your kids force you to face your own stuff. Um, Kate, I know you've been talking to your therapist actively about all this going on. You've been listening to other podcasts, Dr. Becky. Can you give our listeners a couple of tips um, if they're struggling with this or going through this? Like, who else to read right now? What? Any tools in the moment? Like, yeah. So, you know, there's just so many parenting books out there, right? But it, And I'm just like, Ugh, I don't have time to read books. I don't have time to read. And a lot of the parenting books are like tips and tricks, right? But but I think um, one book that was recommended to me by multiple sources, and I think it's making like the psychotherapist circles right now. Um, it's not tips and tricks. It's um, it's more like uh, it's actually titled The Book You Wish Your Parents Had Read. <laughs> uh, it, it's just more about trying to understand why you have certain reactions when your kids are like this. It's not like in when your kid gets dysregulated, here are the tips on how to make them feel regulated. No, it's not that. OK, I have plenty of those. Um, and, and I just started reading and I, I just find myself like nodding along because, you know, there's so many examples of like, when you get triggered by this, like, how are you feeling? And um, think of, you know, what uh, what was your childhood like? It really makes you question, go back in time to really reconnect with things that happened to you in your past that it could help you figure out why you are getting triggered or why you're reacting in a certain way, which for me is really important because um, it helps me work on myself and make me feel like I'm less of a bad person because it's related to things that I had no control over that I experienced as a child. Right. And so this book, I, I think, um, and my therapist also was like, oh, yeah, you know, I heard it. I heard really good things about it. Uh, so called. Well, we'll include links in it. But the book you par wish your parents had read. Um, my therapist took me through a really interesting exercise that she said she had heard about on this um, like podcast with Dr. Becky, who wrote this book called Good Inside. Um, and you can follow her on Instagram as well. Dr. Becky at Good Insight, I think is her Instagram or something. Anyway, if you Google it, you'll find it. And she similarly focuses less on like tips and tricks on how to get your kids to behave and kind of talks a lot about how you as the parent can, um, you know, figure out what's going on with yourself. Anyway, the, the one exercise she took me through, which left me bawling, is um, to, you know, close your eyes and to um, envision yourself as a child as the child that um, was going through this either abuse or um, neglect uh, and, you know, just have that vision of that child. So, and sitting on a bench by themselves and then still with your eyes closed, think of yourself, the adult 
in your current state, going over and sitting next to that child, your, your child self, right, in this exercise. Um, and, you know, talking to that child, asking them, how do you feel? Um, what are you feeling in this moment? And then um, eventually the exercise, you know, sort of concludes with you taking that child to your home. Again, this is all still in your mind. Uh, and what? No time machine? No, no time machine. <laughs> and finding a safe place in that home for this child. Like um, they could be, you know, it, it could be doing something with your kids or uh, like for me, it was I took, you know, the child, me, Kate, child Kate home. Um, and, you know, we're sitting around with my daughters uh, and we are all hanging out and reading book. And then my safe place for child Kate uh, was this room where there were a lot of books and I left her there quietly reading. Oh my gosh, I'm getting all teary-eyed. And, and, and the purpose of that exercise is to know that that child that has gone through all that trauma has a safe place in your current life and you can go check it on that kid. You know, and it's, it, it sounds kind of silly when I'm saying it, but I think when you go through the steps of that, you really feel everything that you went, you know, you felt um, as a child and it, but it also validates, you have this part of you that is like, you know, still that child that's very scarred, but hey, that you as an adult can be really gentle to that child, right? Yeah. That you're not going to be yelling or kicking or, you know, abusing that child and you can take good care of that. And it's, you know, a metaphor for taking good care of yourself as an adult, that yeah. child in you. Um, and I found that to be really powerful for me. Yeah. So, you know. Yeah. I, I went through a similar um, exercise with my therapist and actually that inspired me to I have this picture of me like um, nine-year-old Jeanette in my, on my desk. <laughs> and um, this is a picture where my parents had taken me and my brother to Disneyland. But I don't know what happened, but I'm pretty sure something must have happened on that trip because in every picture on this trip, I look really like unhappy. Oh. Um, like I'm supposed to be having fun, but I'm like not happy. I'm, the picture is of her and Mickey Mouse. Yes. Um, but I'm client I, I like have just like the faintest of smiles. Um, so yeah, just I think I Kate, I also found that just like a really powerful exercise. And um it's a way for I think you as the adult, yeah, to be able to take care of that child you that in a way that wasn't that you know, your parents weren't or didn't do, right? And so, um, yeah, I think, I think this is all, it's all hard. Um, but I, like you said, Kate, I, I don't really see another way around it. You know, kids, they just, it's that intimate relationship where you can't hide much. So, like, the only way is through. Um, and, um, yeah, and, and I think that the other thing that's helpful about these types of exercises is that I, I think it can give you, it re can remind yourself of the context that you're coming from, right? So give yourself a bit of slack, um, but also engage like that other part of your brain, right? That's not purely like the rage brain, right? Um, so, so it kind of engages like that more logical side of your brain that that puts that the situation into context. 
um, and then also makes you helps you realize that it, um, what's going on right now. It's it's not only about your child, right? It's like about all of this other stuff. So to be able to have like a fuller and more accurate understanding of what's going on, right? And so, um, yeah, but it's 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 not fun. Um, it's hard. And there's a lot of crying involved and therapy is expensive and time consuming. But um, yeah, but but I think it's it's very powerful. And I I wish that it was available more widely and it, that it was more accessible. You know, I think this is something that I've also started thinking about in more in recent years, because to what I mentioned beforehand, you know, so many people go through this. And I feel like it's um, it, it's a privilege to have somebody that you can talk this stuff over with. Um, and then what happens to the people who don't, right? I'm sure like some people um, are able to process some of it through self-reflection, reading books, talking with friends. But it, it is really, really helpful to have like a trained person who can kind of be your guide and help make that space. Yeah, because it's going to show up somewhere else. All yeah. that stuff. Well, ladies, thanks so much for sharing. I learned some new things about you all, and I'm just sending both of you so much love as you take care of your inner child and your running around children. Yeah. Um, you know, I want to wrap this episode with an inside thought. Just as we were talking, I, Kate, I just that visual of child Kate going just to sit and be around, relishing around books. It just it was a beautiful image. And I'm curious for your inner children, um, what's that meal that you wanted for your birthday? Like, what's that one comfort meal that you took so much delight in as a kid where when you got to have it, it was just so delicious to you when you were a kid? Um, I'm me. laughing because mine is like a terrible answer. I can't wait to hear it. Okay, I'm going to start with mine and then you can tell me your terrible okay. answer. Um you know how Thai people have that one um, soup called cow soy, and it's kind of like, like, like a noodle, and it's like kind of curry, but soup curry with like some chicken in it. Well, Vietnamese people have that version. It's a bunguri, yeah. So it's like vermicelli noodles, and it's soupy, and maybe has some potato in it or taro and some carrots or something like that, and chicken, and. I remember that that was just the dish I always asked for on my birthday or like when we made it, I ate so much of it. it was, I like I could not stop eating it. It was just the most savory thing. And like I've, I've been thinking about it for the last five minutes. Now I want, want to eat it for dinner tonight and I'm going to go find it somewhere. But that that was for me was um, like a chicken curry noodle soup was just so comforting to me. Like I felt so safe and so satiated um i'm curious kate what is your terrible response to that question well i've never thought of something that i don't get that i like would really favor right not so much comforting but when i was a kid um especially like the first four or five years when my parents were grad students and we were like really poor and i was on free lunch um i used to like watch the white kids in school eat their lunchables <laughs> and i'm like yeah. i was like oh my god like i just that's like the apex like elementary school dining is having lunch, <laughs> right? Because I was on free hot lunch, yo. And so finally, when my parents graduated and like my dad got his first job, I like asked for like 
the Lunchable. And I kid you not, like, every, I didn't have it very often, right? Because there's still, like, you know, it's still cheaper to make other food or whatever. Anyway, I just would like every piece in that Lunchable. I was just, like, you know, put, like, tear into smaller pieces and just, like, let it sit on my tongue, that, like, processed cheese, <laughs> that super salty, like, pepperoni oh. and, like, the stale cracker. But, oh, man, like... <laughs> You know, as a kid, that was like, uh, I remember that it was the same as, at, right? At, yeah, it was the same at um, my school, elementary school. And I feel like even into middle school, like Lunchables was a thing that I almost never had. But but I, I um, noticed that some other kids had. Hmm. Um, I think for me, I don't know. Do you want my honest, sad answer? Okay. Which sure. is like, I don't even really remember, like birthdays just weren't a big deal in my family. And I don't really ever remember like this thing where we had to have like, a, got to have a special dish and blah, blah, blah. Like, and maybe that's just real, like a really sad thing because I just felt like I needed to make myself super small. I couldn't even like ask things for my birthday. But anyway, that, that is my kind of immediate reaction. But, but if I could choose what would I have chosen? Um, I probably, I don't know. I'm just hungry right now. I would, I, and I always loved kejang growing up. And what's, I know I that? had mentioned this um, girl, to both of you guys. And I think you guys said this is like the one Korean food you wouldn't eat, which oh, is, um, oh, it's like, it's raw crab. Oh, it's raw crab that you um, marinate and kind of like slightly ferment in either a spicy gochujang sauce or soy sauce but it's like sushi you know it's like no Jeanette it is not like sushi I tried so hard to like it I'm sorry I even had it in Seoul at like a yeah. famous place and yeah the crab I really meat wanted is just to like so it so sweet and then you open up the body of the crab and sometimes there's like roe in there and then yeah. you put in you put in like hot white rice and you mix it in and you just like eat it with all the that case like I'm gonna barf it's so delicious um, it's, uh, but it's also very, it's only, um, available during certain times of the year when the crabs are molting. It's usually in the spring. Anyway, I would pick that. Whoa. That's hella Korean, dude. I mean, it's Vietnamese so people have a version of that, but I don't think I crave it in that way. No, I crave it. I'm like, it's so good. Can, can you get it anywhere in Seattle or? Um, yeah, you could probably get it at like H Mart, but it just, um, you know, it's exp it's an expensive food, right? Because it's, it's just like straight crab. So the stuff that you can get in the grocery store, I feel like the crabs are smaller. And, you know, if you made it at home, then you could you could choose to get like bigger crabs and, you know, you you make it like more, you make it right. Ooh, sounds like a future business right there. <laughs> oh my I want to amend my answer. I feel like I'm like the odd one out with my random Lunchable answer. No, I I loved Lunchables. I understand the Lunchable thing. I recently went to a Safeway and I was just like, what's going on with Lunchables today? You know, like I was just trying to look. I was like, was it as good as I remember? Or actually it's just as bad or, you know, I was, I mean, they've adapted uh, to current climate. Well, Fine, Kate, what's your amended answer? Okay, well, since each of you is like a food of your ethnicity, then fine. Like, I can think of the thing that comes to no, my head. If that wasn't no, 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 I'm just like, well, I maybe you misunderstood the exercise. I was just thinking like <laughs> what you wanted to eat as a kid. Anyway, this, uh, this other thing is also very hard to find in the U.S. as a kid, but like pig intestine vermicelli noodles, hot and sour. 
like it's like the food of my childhood. It's like hot and sour saw like soup with uh, rice vermicelli noodles. And there's just like cooked pig intestines on top. Oh, my gosh. That's so it's stuff. brothy. Yeah, it's brothy. Mm-hmm. And it's like pungent, you know, because of the intestines. Anyway, is it intest- intestines or intestine? I think it's intestines. That, at least it's like okay. tomato, okay. tomato. I mean, I've never done iron on it, but I mean, whatever you want. Okay. Um, I I've had good pork intestines before. I mean, Vietnamese people do it too, but only my grandma made it. I've never eaten. Yeah, it I love I intestines. Just I like, haven't had intestines in a while. Tripe and intestines, like oh oh, oh. I can't do tripe. You can't do tripe, I, like you know, like I in just, fall. You know how when you get like everything, yeah. and you know how I don't get everything. No, you just go for the raw <laughs> flank steak or oh whatever. no, I love the tripe. Tendon. Yeah, tripe. Yeah, tendon. I love tripe. No, oh my god, all and, of it. And, just put it no. all in. No, 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 no. It's just a clean, just some clean steak that's like raw, and then some beef meatball. Collagen. That's all I do. Collagen, people. We don't need to buy like cans of collagen at Costco. Just eat the damn collagen from the bone. Sorry, that's just my. The Korean speaks. <laughs> All right, and that's it for Inside Thoughts. All right. We hope you found something helpful, reassuring, or interesting in this episode of Model Minority Moms. If you enjoyed the episode, please help us spread the word by texting a friend about our show or leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. If you want to connect with us, please visit our website at modelminoritymoms.com or follow us on Instagram where we love receiving messages from our listeners.